Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the History of Yugoslav Football podcast. World War II. The war came to Yugoslavia on the 6th of April 1941 and kicked off four years of what have may been the most vicious arena of the entire war and a mix of combatants that shifted dramatically during the war itself. In addition, the Holocaust reached Yugoslavia in a manner not seen elsewhere in Europe that would create atrocities that were the match of any scene in the more famed death camps. We will deal with the Holocaust in the next episode because it's a separate issue that poisons the well of relations in Yugoslavia going forward. It's also worth noting at this point that this and the podcast to follow on the Holocaust will primarily be based on history rather than football and will be slightly longer than previous episodes just due to the amount of content we'll cover. One thing that didn't take longer than usual was the invasion and occupation of Yugoslavia, taking only 12 days. As established in the previous episode, defections meant that the invading forces knew where all of Yugoslavia's defences were and were able to use that information to essentially knock the nation's defensive capabilities out on day one. Invasion came also from all directions, and the military swiftly collapsed due to several issues. The destruction of the air force on the first day, the large amount of nationalists, Slovenes and Croats, who had absolutely zero interest in defending the nation in defence of a Serb hegemony, and also a general lack of preparedness compared to the battle-hardened invaders. In addition, the army's equipment was relatively similar to what was used in World War I, with much of the artillery still horse-drawn. Against the bleeding edge of military technology employed by the Nazis, the Yugoslavs stood little chance. The attack was in three phases. Part one was Operation Retribution, which consisted of the massive bombing of Belgrade. 4,000 residents were killed in the bombing and almost all communication between Belgrade and the rest of the country was cut off. The dictatorship without a dictator was turned into an army without any leadership. Phase two was the invasion of the south to Nietzsche the area where most effort was given by Yugoslavs to prevent a Nazi breakthrough. However, with the Luftwaffe not having to worry about Belgrade, the reserve thrown at the front was subject to aerial attack that meant most never reached the front. Phase three was the Italian invasion through Slovenia and Croatia, which essentially faced no resistance. Hungary followed up later to regain the areas of Serbia they had lost in World War I, and this would become part of a distinct phase of the Holocaust. The last region was in the southwest in defence of Italian incursions through Albania, which worked for a short period until the collapse of the army elsewhere left the Yugoslav force surrounded. To make matters worse, Ustazi troops launched their own attacks against Yugoslav troops occupying Mostar. In taking the entirety of Yugoslavia, the Germans suffered a grand total of 151 deaths. The immediate result 
was the carving up of Yugoslavia in multiple ways. Germany took much of northern Slovenia. Italy would take southern Slovenia, parts of Dalmatia, Montenegro and Kosovo. Montenegro itself became a puppet of Italy, Serbia a puppet of Germany. Bulgaria took much of Vardar Macedonia, Hungary took back their lost lands from the First World War, and finally there was the setup of the independent state of Croatia under the Stasi. King Peter II had fled the country and a government in exile would be set up. Resistance, however, was immediate, and it's important to establish that there were two very distinct main resistance groups. Firstly, there were the Chetniks, who essentially just wanted things to go back to what they were prior to the invasion, which meant, of course, that their end game was always going to be a greater Serbia. And at the start of the resistance, they were backed by most of the Allies. The other group were the Partisans, led by Josip Broz Tito. These were backed by the Soviet Union and, crucially, are the first major force we come across in the region whose allegiance is based solely on ideology as opposed to ethnicity. Localised groups also existed in the Slovene Partisans and the Macedonian People's Liberation Army, but it's the Chetniks and the Partisans we will mainly deal with. It's also important to recognise that while there were initial efforts to work with each other, the desires of Chetniks and Partisans were completely incompatible, and they soon opposed each other. In defence of the Axis were four divisions of the Wehrmacht, a large number of Italian troops and also the newly founded Croatian Home Guard. They would be employed across the country as guerrilla warfare rose wherever the resistance could raise it. The first major campaign was the partisan liberation of the Republic of Vizice that lasted four months in late 1941. The partisans showed their effectiveness and the Chetniks joined in halfway through before German counteroffensives started and the Chetnik-Partisan alliance broke down, resulting in the Chetniks attacking the Partisans also. The resistance would settle into a pattern of Partisan resistance that was almost total war, and the Chetniks' pragmatic approach, seeking to balance both their wish to liberate the area and to not have the, liber uh, the area liberated by the Partisans. At the same time, Operations were carried out in Montenegro that the Italians put down through sheer force of numbers. The second major campaign of the war was in January 1942, in the southeast of Croatia. German forces encircled the region, with the Chetniks giving them no resistance, but the partisans were able to slip the net due primarily to the issues of the Nazis trying to complete a complex trap operation in the middle of winter, in the mountains. This was followed in the spring by Operation Trio, a botched offensive that featured squabbling between the Germans, Italians and the Stasi over how to do it, with the Stasi forces even going as far as launching the attack early out of paranoia, then committing atrocities in the region of attack. The partisans, however, slipped the net again, and the Chetniks moved into their place, able to survive due to cutting deals with the Stasi and their Axis allies. As the partisans continued to show themselves as the most active resistance force, the Allies began to infiltrate them alongside the Chetniks to gain intelligence. By the time the next operation came, Case White, the Chetniks could essentially be considered as part of the Axis, 
primarily out of their own self-preservation. One person who didn't believe this, however, was the king in exile, Peter II, and his inability to accept that the forces who sought to restore him to the throne were actually collaborators with those who had driven from him from it, and it would be a major reason he would never return. Case White ran in early 1943, just as the war was turning against the Axis, and the operation was to attempt to end the partisans so as to ensure the region could not be used as a staging post for operations from the Allies. At the same time, Tito had gotten wind of these plans and started an operation of his own designed to take Mostar and the region surrounding it. The result was the Battle of Naretva, in which the partisans were surrounded yet again. However, rather than pushing on, Tito switched back, blew up bridges over the river Naretva, and surprised German forces, pushing them back before having to switch back again and crossing the river Naretva under the cover of darkness, blowing up the remaining bridges to confuse Nazis and escaping again. It was yet another Axis overall victory, but one without securing the actual aim of the battle, destroying the partisans. The next offensive, Case Black, would achieve that, but only in Montenegro. This resulted in the Battle of Suceska, where Axis forces encircled the partisans again, outnumbered them five to one, managed to wound Tito, killed around a third of the partisan forces, but still saw the partisans break out and escape, and this time see a massive round of new recruits join them after proving themselves over the two operations as a viable resistance force. However, we are now at the point where the Italians surrender, with a large amount of troops defecting to the partisans and, importantly, the Germans being forced to cover an even larger area and having to use the Chetniks as the new occupying force. This led into the sixth major operation of the war, Operation Kugelblitz, in an attempt to secure the new, new areas of Croatia and to stop the partisans moving into Serbia. Much like Case Black, there were large partisan casualties, but they broke out yet again. And this was enough for them to earn the support of the Allies once and for all. The final major operation of the war was Operation Rosselsprung in May 1944, an aerial assault to try to kill Tito, who was based in caves around Tvar in Bosnia. Yet he escaped once more this time due to the stoutness of the defence of his partisan troops. There is a wonderful story that the escape of Tito was actually delayed. He had to climb down a rope from his cave hideout, uh, but had to be delayed as he was waiting for his dog to be brought down the rope. In spite of these canine capers, the attack only resulted in a temporary disruption to the partisans as Tito quickly relocated, but the force itself had escaped and defied the Nazis once more. With Allied aerial support, the Luftwaffe and Croat air forces were neutralised, and the gradual liberation of Yugoslavia began. Belgrade was liberated on the 20th of October 1944 and, by the time winter set in, Serbia, North Macedonia and Montenegro were all more or less completely liberated. 
Mostar would be liberated on the 22nd of February 1945, Sarajevo on the 15th of April, as it had been held at all costs, so as to ensure there was at least one route of retreat available to the Germans, and also the, the issues of the partisans attempting to learn how to do conventional warfare after years of guerrilla war. This last few weeks of the war for the partisans were essentially spent joining the dots of liberated territory, while Chetniks again switched sides to the Allies so they could try to unsuccessfully fight the Ishtazi. Croat forces, however, were forced to surrender out of simply running out of supplies to be able to defend their lines, in spite of not actually being defeated. The result was the eventual breakthrough of the partisans into Croatia and the liberation of Zagreb on the 9th of May, the same day as Maribor and Ljubljana, one day after VE Day. The last battle of the war will be the Battle of Odjak, concluding on the 25th of May. Somewhere in the region of 450,000 soldiers on both sides were killed in the conflict. And, as we will cover in the next episode, 550,000 civilians. It had been a long conflict, but the war was finally over. Tito was in charge, and for the first time, ethnicity wasn't going to be a part of Yugoslav governance. Next time, we look at the Holocaust in Yugoslavia, as long memories play out across the nation, and we also take a look at just what happened to football during the war. Because yes, in spite of all of this, football carried on. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.